Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Walter Craig, who's the Canada Research Chair of Mathematical Analysis and its Applications in the Department of Mathematics and Statistics at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, and we're talking about rogue waves. Uh, Walter, can you tell us uh, what rogue waves are and about any math that's used to study them? Well, uh, rogue waves in practice are waves that are substantially larger than the waves that are around them. There's an official uh, factor they say it should be 2.3 times the nearest significant wave height around it. So, so we, we could be talking about waves and puddles, but actually that's not what we mean. It's really about waves in the ocean, usually when the sea, you're in a boat, you can imagine, and the sea around you is pretty wavy, so we're talking about maybe 10, 12 meter waves around you, uh, which is pretty big for waves, and then there'll be some kind of focusing process which will result in a wave which is, say, 25 meters high instead of the normal 10. Now, 10 meter wave is pretty big, and I've rarely seen 10 meter waves in person, although once I did when I was young. And just imagine something which is two and a half times those big waves in this very stormy wave field around you and you encounter it in a boat. So that's uh, quite a remarkable thing. Fortunately, it's rare. It does not happen very often. The statistics are, you know what? They're unknown. It's rare enough, so people don't really very often measure them. But when they are measured, they're just by chance. For a long time, they were not even believed in. Boats would disappear. You'd imagine big catastrophe, a boat sinking under dramatic circumstances, but so fast it couldn't even radio. But I guess it's been 25 years now that enough sightings, photographs from the bridge, recordings on offshore oil platforms, this sort of thing. So people definitely believe in them now and are trying to understand their dynamics and their statistics. Dynamics is a, is a good word because you were talking about the, the focusing. Most of the time you think of waves adding linearly, but that's not the case with rogue waves. I would say definitely not. They also uh, focus and then defocus, so they don't stay rogue waves for that long. I was trying to imagine how long they do survive, but probably it's a matter of minutes. I can imagine a, a, there's a kind of a focusing phenomenon, and then a, such a large wave would develop. And but but it's like a, a white cap; its steepness builds up, but then breaks. It has a lot of violent stuff, but it goes away, because, partly because of the violent stuff. So I was imagining, say, a rough guess, maybe between five minutes to 20 minutes. The focus, it would propagate 20 minutes. It can go pretty far in 20 minutes, maybe 10 kilometers or so, 20 kilometers, then die down again and be the normal background wave field of uh, large storm waves. But just normal large storm waves. Uh, the statistics are a, a little bit hard to do. So there are various classical methods. One method has people measuring wave heights and then saying, oh, well, this is the center of a statistical distribution, which must be a standard statistical distribution. And so therefore, the tails, which are unusual events, must obey the same statistical distribution. And so the large ones are going to be this common or this rare. You do it with a Gaussian, you find rogue waves every 10,000 years, something like that. So that's a linear mentality. And it's a Probably not right. Probably in the middle of the statistical distribution, you're doing okay because you see plenty like it and you're comparing its fellows. But extrapolating to the tails is probably not so correct. So method number two, 
understand it's really a nonlinear wave and to try to understand it as a focusing phenomenon. Some people do this with what you might say two-dimensional waves because it's easier to understand mathematically. That is to say there's only x and y. y is the depth, x is the distance along the wave, and you assume it's approximately constant in the horizontal direction, orthogonal to the direction of motion. My own feeling is that's a little bit too simple. The model is easier to deal with, but it's a little too simple. And my own image, this is not a mathematical theorem at all. It's more of a matter of judgment. It's hardly a mathematical deduction. Some reasonable number of people think this, that you encounter maybe not one wave field, but two wave fields from maybe two different storms or maybe reflected waves plus the regular waves from a storm interact each other and, and come at oblique angles. When two crests intersect, there's a nonlinear effect which adds not just twice their height, but twice plus maybe half again their height. And that would be something that would come and go. To try to understand that situation mathematically would be a goal that I think would be a pursuable goal in mathematical terms. You mentioned that for a long time people didn't believe that these rogue waves existed, even though sailors would talk about it or ships would disappear and nobody could figure out why. And so that's why it's a relatively young field to understand. Yeah, it's a, it's a fortunately they're a rare event. At least uh, where they happen and where a ship is seem to be rare coincidence. There's actually uh, Shackleton. His ship was stuck in ice. He was sailing in a small open boat with a, a small set of his crew to get help. And in his log, there's an encounter with something which is remarkably like a rogue wave. So some people say that's the first recorded sighting of a, mm. you know, scientific sighting of a rogue wave from a survivor. They fortunately survived it, saved their crew. In part two, Walter Craig will begin by talking about the difference between rogue waves and tsunamis, and then later talk about the specific mathematical areas involved in the subject.